And actually, I knew that James was going to be my husband when I was 13 years old. So very, very, yeah. I remember my 20th birthday, and I remember being so worried. Like, I remember <laughs> praying to God, making deals with him, saying, Lord, please, like, help me because I can't find anyone, and the good ones are all going to be gone. And... <laughs> Take a girl and a guy, and they fall madly in love and form a family. Sprinkle in some counseling degrees and a doctorate, a dream of transforming relationships as we know it. And 20 years later, we give you power couple Dr. Ray and Jean Ketkodian. And this is Couples Synergy. And welcome back to another episode of Couples Synergy with Dr. Ray and Jean. Hi, I'm Dr. Ray. And I'm Jean. And this is our podcast about love, marriage, and relationships. Please check us out online at couplesynergy.com or on Facebook and Instagram at couplesynergy. And please subscribe to our podcast and leave us a review or send us any suggestions on topics you'd like to hear more about. And now on to Couple Synergy, an in-depth look at love, marriage, and relationships, where we bring our experience helping thousands of couples transform their relationships for over 20 years. Every day we get to hear intimate details about a couple's celebrations, disappointments, and everyday challenges. We've often wished these stories were shared because we know we are more similar than different. So we've created not only an avenue where you can hear about people's intimate lives, but an atmosphere where people come over to our home pub, pour a drink and share their stories, and we don't have our home pub anymore. That's right. <laughs> so we got to change that up. Well, today on today's episode, we welcome our guests, Meg and James Hepner. Meg is a life coach, hypnotherapist, and the host of the Art of Being Human podcast. James is a self-help hacker and a strategist who hosts the podcast Weekly Wins and Losses with James Hepner. Thank you both for being on our podcast today, guys. Oh, we were so looking forward to this. As soon as it was in our schedule, we're like, yeah, that is going to be a fun conversation. We typically don't book out podcast appearances on Friday. But we're like, no, these people are going to do it. <laughs> Thanks for having us. This is wonderful. Yeah. Well, it's more fun than work, isn't it? <laughs> True. Totally. To yeah. That's one of the things you don't realize um, about podcasting because you get into it going like, I really want to give value to my community. And then you go, oh, but it's also a lot of fun. <laughs> Absolutely. And we love just meeting people all over the world, which is really awesome. And, you know, thanks for having us on your podcast. You know, that was a, that was a blast. Mm -hmm. This is like part two, right? <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. So now we're in the hot seat. So yes, we, we treated you kindly. So if you want to do reciprocal, that would be nice. no, just fire away whatever you've got. I love it. <laughs> well, you know, we want to get into your relationship story. So why don't we just start with how old are you guys? What do you do for a living and how long have you been together? Oh, great question. Um, so we are in our forties, I guess I'm, I'm going to be 42. You're going to be an old man soon. Yeah. Oh no, wait, 44, 44, 46, 46, yeah. 46. So right. she's, she's, she's trying to pull me back to forever 21. Like apparently she's younger. I, I didn't know that we as men had, you no. always say that you like the graying hair and I do have some, but I'm supposed to get younger. I like no, this. But I think it's like a denial of the <laughs> fact that we are getting older. Right. Um, but we've been together for 26 years. We've been married for 22 years. And actually I knew that James was going to be my husband when I was 13 years old. The 13. very, very, yeah. The very first time I saw him, I went, Oh, that's my husband. And lo and behold, that's exactly what happened. Really? 
This that is, is really me. interesting. <laughs> and apparently she's done having children with me. So I don't know what that means. I got a vas- I got a vasectomy last week. You really are bringing it up. <laughs> so apparently she's done with me. So I feel like old man. I've been at there for like yeah, that is true for 27 years. Um, but I'll yeah, I'll just say this. I there's uh, no bags of frozen peas in the freezer anymore. No. <laughs> I know, I know, it's absolutely so our children are like we said prior to the show our children are traveling right now they're in phoenix at their uh, first cousin's graduation and so we have a 17 year old yeah, and 15 and so it's just her and i in the house now and so we absolutely love it i said to her this morning it feels like we're dating all over again so this yeah is wonderful i love it so tonight we're going to a comedy show we're gonna laugh it up and then we're gonna see circus of Soleil tomorrow so we're not inviting any friends it's just her and i so no one's <laughs> nice. coming awesome you know there was a movie uh failure to launch you guys remember that one yeah. mm-hmm. Terry Bradshaw was in it and everything. And he wanted his, his son, uh, Matthew McConaughey to, to launch out of the nest so that he could turn his bedroom into a naked room. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that would so be up James's alley. Cause he, yeah. If there's an exhibitionist in our family, uh, it is 100%. <laughs> you would love a naked room. <laughs> well, we Why told not? our son once he's out of college, it's naked house. So we can't wait for him to, to go. <laughs> So tell us the story of how you guys met. Well, I was close friends with James's younger sister and she was my age and um, I, we got along great. We and were- the reason, if you don't mind, just mm-hmm. as, as an introduction, my, uh, my sister, Marilee, who she became friends with, um, uh, connected with Meg because my sister married um, my older brother, Meg's older brother. So we're a very entwined family, (laughs) families. right? I know. Go ahead. But Mm -hmm. before I'd ever met James, Mm -hmm. um, I was friends with Marilee. I was friends with his younger sister. Mm -hmm. And one day I was, I remember sitting at her kitchen table and she said, oh, my brother's coming home today. And something weird happened in me. Like I wasn't this like crazy boy, crazy girl, but something weird happened where I went, oh, pay attention, like just pay attention. And I remember hearing his vehicle come up the driveway. They lived on a farm. So there's like this crunch of the gravel. I remember hearing him open the door and coming into their entrance. And I always say when he came into the kitchen, it was like, the heavens opened and the angels just sang like it was a moment i remember and i remember looking at him going that's my husband and then i got like of course really nervous and shy and whatever right i was 13 and i went home that night and i wrote in my diary today i met the man i'm gonna marry but i'll date a few other guys first (laughs) i don't i don't know why i think i I figured i needed an experience well and the problem i mean she's 13 and I'm 17, so I could tell she she kind of was shit eyes for me, and she was really nice to me. And I thought she's really cute, but I'm like, this is wrong. Like 17, 13, so there's no dating going on. You but were not looking at me that way. When, yeah, then no, exactly right. And however, then so I knew that she was able to date when she was 16. I remember driving through town one day, and I saw these boys were chasing her around town. And they're just having fun. And I remember thinking, this is not okay. <laughs> this is not okay. So that's how we, yeah. we started dating. I was, you were 16 I was six- and I was, it was kind of, it was kind of different. You were, you know, I was 19, you were 16. So we were, you know, we took it slow for a while, 
But let's be honest, you got married when you're, what was it? 19. 19 three quarter and I was 23. Yeah. So we, yeah. So we. It's funny when you tell the story now in the day and age that we're in now, it seems like, oh, wow, were we ever young? But like we lived in a small town and it was mm-hmm. 26 years ago. And it was just, it, it was very natural and normal. Like it didn't seem as as young i i guess because now i look at my kids and i go oh my gosh you're so not ready for a relationship but the scenario that Mm. we were in the values our families held this Mm. community we were in um it was really Mm. important to find a spouse it was really important to find someone to love do you do you think that there is some connection to that feeling that you had of that knowingness where do you think that came from to me this is a very weird thing that happens to me like to me that's my women's intuition i know i was only 13 but to me that's my intuition sort of this the and my my sort of connection to the divine if that's not Mm -hmm. too kind of wonky to say um but like i had that when both of my sons were born as well when Mm -hmm. my oldest was born i looked at him and i said to james um oh this one is aware like this one is awake and he has always been like that he's extremely aware he understands people's emotions he can read people and then when my youngest was born um, i didn't have better languaging for it so i said something's wrong which is not languaging i would use now um, but it was languaging that i used then and shortly after he was born he was diagnosed with autism and so there's something about when people really really matter to me that i just it just hits and i always say like it's either my women's intuition or my connection with the divine that it's a knowing mm. that i'm so 100 certain about that you couldn't convince me well and it was really bizarre i remember uh so rowan our first after he was born uh, we took him home and i was i was a person that when you were pregnant i went to every one of her appointments i just promised myself i'm going to be there for every last one and we ran a corporation it was difficult for me to challenging to schedule off but it didn't matter i went to every single one i heard their heartbeat for the first time and recorded it on my phone and i have it someplace in my files and it was just me i was excited about being a dad and supporting her and and, and supporting us and just starting this thing off well and i'll never forget so we took rowan home from the hospital and um we brought him into our new home and and I said, hey, honey, I'm just going to go to the office. I had promised her, by the way, that I was going to stay home that day. But then I had a lot of emails and calls come in. And I just needed to go to the office for a couple of minutes, maybe half hour, an hour or so. And then uh, so I said, I'll be right back. And she goes, hey, this is totally fine. And we got the bassinet set up beside the bed. And I kind of tucked her, put a blanket over Meg. And she had Rowan beside her. And it was all good. Uh, however, what was really interesting is I was at the office for about five, 10 minutes. And the phone rang. And it was her. <laughs> and she's, she was crying. And she goes, James, you got to come home. I said, what's going on? And she says, I don't know what to do with this baby. This baby can see straight through me. And I said, oh, baby, don't worry, but I'll be right home. That's no problem. Uh, he's just he's just a little baby. It'll be just fine. And I remember thinking she was kind of crazy. Like, honestly, I think this is just like baby blues or something. But then when Rowan was growing up, he was super young still. But I remember the way that he would look at me while he's sitting in the high chair. Like if he had, if we put spaghetti in his plate, the way he'd look at me, I remember thinking there's something going on here. And honestly speaking, that kid's 17 years old and he's always been like that. Like he's like an old soul. Mm-hmm. Just super. So anyway, to your point. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Now you said you guys grew up in a small town. Like what was the population? How, how small are we talking? Mm-hmm. So there's three communities within a radius of, uh, hmm, 
45 minutes and combine those three communities had uh, the small towns had about 30,000 people and the town that where we met was Winkler. And so I think at the time they had about eight, 9,000 people. Um, so yeah, 30,000 people. And as a farming community, like mm-hmm. directly um, across the border from North Dakota, so farming community, right? So, I mean, given the, the community that you grew up in getting married at 19 and 24, was that young? Was that on target? It was not. That was normal. We grew up, um, so we were not practicing Mennonites anymore, but we grew up as Mennonites. Mm-hmm. And so uh, this idea of getting together and, and finding a spouse and starting a family was just sort of bred in us from very young on that that was your biggest priority. And it's also a religious community. And so because it's a religious community, the nuclear family gets very, very important. It gets kind of glorified in a, in this particular religious, religious community. And so there was this get your nuclear family, get your nuclear family, like mm. create that. And so I remember being 13 and already going, I need to keep my eyes open for a spouse. And I remember when you got, when we got married, you were 24 and you went, yeah, like I'm old. Like I need to get married. <laughs> and honestly, before I started dating her, I was 20. I remember my 20th birthday and I remember being so worried. Like I remember praying to God, making deals with him saying, Lord, please like help me because I can't find anyone and the good ones are all going to be gone. It was the weirdest thing. And of course my oldest is 17 now and he doesn't have a girlfriend. And it's funny how if we're not careful, we become addicted to our trauma bonds and we put it on our children. You know what I mean? And so I have to work with myself going, you don't have a girlfriend? Like is there a problem? And he's like, dad, like I'm just, I'm fine. I'm like, I get it. I'm like, I got wounds, man. I got I'm just trying to to shake him through you. So just forget about it. Right. Anyway, you know, it's interesting. The, a lot of the couples that we've interviewed, they knew right away. They knew that was their person. And, you know, I've read somewhere that uh, if, if we're somewhere before we're here, maybe we make some contracts and put some signs in and we kind of know, and Greg Braden has done some, well, he talks about, I don't know if he's done this research with heart math. Um, are you familiar with heart math? Yeah. Mm-hmm. So he said it, it takes 180 seconds for your heart to know. Mm. Really? Three minutes. Isn't that crazy that this person is a person that you, that you love. That's how quick wow. it happens. So what was it about each other that you fell in love with? <laughs> yeah. What was it about <laughs> me at that time? I've not, I mean, I'm still just, a well, dude, how so. long do you want this podcast to be? Cause I'm sure James could go on for <laughs> Oh, yeah, I'll start. I'll start. Hey, I will start. I'm not on this. So what I loved about this little one is she's a laugher. She is a bundle of joy. And I remember when I met her. So first off, I was raised in a very Christian home. My dad is a pastor of a mega church. And there was lots of rules, like a lot. Then we were taught what to think, how to think, not so much. Okay. So a lot of what to think, a lot of seriousness. My dad gave his life to the church, had a small farm, never got paid by the church. He he was offered to, but refused, gave, gave his life. And this is a, you know, beautiful mission, really, if you be honest, like he would spend so many hours and evenings, you know, counseling and being at the bedside of people who are dying and marriages, like all honor to him. It's just a beautiful, beautiful thing. But I'll, I'll you know, I'll say this. Um, for me, my, for me, I'm always interested in um, challenging kind of the status quo. And so my brain works a little differently. Harrison was diagnosed with high functioning autism. I've never been diagnosed, Meg neither, but it, genetically it's somewhere. I've worked on myself ferociously. Uh, let's just say it like this. So if I had thoughts, I remember as a child, and my parents are busy, like managing a small farm, church life, but uh, I had four sisters. 
And, you know, I have these random thoughts and, and <laughs> things that probably came about. And I remember that there wasn't a lot of, um, there wasn't a lot of ear for what I had to say. That's how I felt anyway. Right. And so there was a lot of just, uh, I would say, and then it was quiet and then just shift the conversation. <laughs> and so, um, my, my parents, and I think what they must've done through because of the church, their organization, they bonded through similarity. Difference was hard for them to embrace. And so, of course, I brought a lot of difference. Uh, but even still, my parents viewed spirituality very seriously. God is somebody you don't want to piss off. He's going to come and destroy, you know, these kinds of things. And so when I met this little one, to your, to your point, she laughed, but she's a little rebellious. I remember when I, when I was dating her, I remember she pulled out a pack of cigarettes and she like lit up. And I'm, and I'm like, I was a social smoker and I tried to inhale it the way this little one. I'm like, holy, so she deepened the lungs and she blew a smoke ring. I'm like, wow, she's cool. Okay. I'm like, she's, she's cool amazing. Teenager. Anyway, so as you can see, I'm like going, okay, she has got some life. She likes to laugh. She pushes the edges, but she seemed to be all of what I was craving. So for me, I'm a pretty intense person and she's kind of chill vibe and she can feel things out. So she's like the water and I'm the fire. And I just remember going this and the way she could debate topics, it was like, oh my goodness, this little one, she has fire, you know? And I'm like, this is so fascinating, right? And so that that was the thing. And of course, I mean, I call her, I'll, I'll share this. I you know I call her my, to the people that I don't know very well, I just say she's my mini Meg, but people I know a little better, like you folks, I'll say, she's my mini Megalicious. That's who she is for me. She's just like my doll. Anyway. <laughs> I cannot believe you shared my smoking story. I was a social smoker, but it was a long time ago. It was like 96. <laughs> At age 16, huh? No. Exactly. I know. <laughs> Mooching cigarettes off your dad, probably. <laughs> That's so terrible. Um, yeah, that's that's interesting. I know exactly what attracted me to James right away, other than him just being ferociously good looking, mm. is the fact that he, I get bored extremely easily and I don't enjoy the status quo. The status quo makes me want to just check out. Like the minute someone goes, I'm going to live right by the status quo. I'm going to do everything really appropriately, blah, 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 blah. I'm like, that's great. That's fine. You're a lovely person, but I'm not going to be in a long-term relationship with that. And the mm -hmm. thing I loved about James is he would connect things that had never been connected for me before because he viewed the world completely differently. Mm -hmm. And he would say things that I thought were taboo, but he somehow had the guts to say them. And I was like, oh, I so like that. Like it, that to me was mm -hmm. so interesting. And you had a fascination for everything. And because I get bored so easily, it's so nice when you remind me like, hey, these things are fascinating, like mm. dig deeper, dig deeper, dig deeper. Um, so that those were the things that I immediately went like, yeah, that that's the type of person that I want to spend the rest of my life with. Like I'm an Enneagram nine and I need an Enneagram four to like get me <laughs> feeling stuff. So growing up in a Mennonite community and culture, there's a lot to kind of buck the system, right? And rebel against, mm. right? I mean, there's a lot of status quo and a lot of rules. Yeah, there's a lot of status yeah, quo and rules. Of, yeah. Yeah. And, you know, because often I think it's because my dad was a pastor, but to mm. be totally honest, I mean, that community, I mean, Winnipeg is the, is, is, is the capital of, yeah, is that true? Yeah, the capital city of Manitoba. So, 
Do you call it a capital city if it's a province? Winnipeg is the biggest city in Manitoba. <laughs> the province of Manitoba. Winnipeg has like 700,000 people. And what's fascinating is, so Winkler, where we lived, it's about an hour and a half drive. And what we would do for a good time, we go to Winnipeg. And of course, Winnipeg, uh, businesses were open on Sunday. In Winkler, all the businesses were closed on Sunday. It was a, it was a dry community. So there's no alcohol being sold in that community, but mm-hmm. about 15 minute drive from Winkler was another community, like I referenced earlier, three, another community called Morden. In Morden, you could buy alcohol. So what do you think people did in Winkler? It wasn't like there weren't alcoholics in Winkler. Like, for example, your dad, right? Yeah. He was an alcoholic. So what did he do? He just drives, he supports Morden's growth. <laughs> Makes no sense. So it's almost like, oh my goodness, like people, let's think this through. But we, we, we were the apparently righteous ones. And, and honestly, I think... No, I think for me, the whole Mennonite play, it just got exactly, you know, it got elevated because of my dad was a leader. And apparently everybody thought I was like very much like that. And I just rebelled against that. Like I I needed people to know this wasn't who I was. And of course, preacher's kid, everybody thinks I know all the answers of the scriptures. And I'm like, actually, I'm trying to rebel. My problem, though, my problem was that I was a stutterer. So I had a ferocious stutter. I couldn't get I couldn't get beyond my words. And I'll never forget in grade eight, my mom had a speech therapist come into junior high and the principal called me to the office and I spoke with the therapist and, and I remember thinking, oh, perfect. Finally, someone's going to help me through this. And she looked at me and she listened to me for a while. And she says, she just stopped the meeting. She goes, you don't have a stuttering problem. Your tongue just can't keep up with how fast your brain is going. And I had to retrain and relearn how to think and how to talk. And the reason I share this story is when I met Meg, it's fascinating. So there I was, and she was probably 17 and I was 21 dating for about a year or so. And I had really kept my stuttering and stammering under control. And then one day I was standing in her foyer and I just, I couldn't get my words out. And it was just stuttering and stuttering and stuttering. And I, and I remember thinking, oh, and pardon the language, but oh shit, she's going to see that who I have been projecting isn't who I am. And I remember in that moment thinking it's over. I can still feel feel my chest over. She'll look at me and say, you can go. And I said, sorry, Meg, I got to go. And she looked at me and she said, I understood everything you just said. And I couldn't believe it because I, I knew what I was trying to say, but she got it. And that was the moment when I'm like, she is mine. She is mine forever. <laughs> you remember what you were trying to say? Like, was it a big deal? You know what? I don't remember. I think I know what it was about. What was it about? I think it was about the fact that you were working at a place that you didn't like and you were trying to express how Mm. you were feeling about working at Mm. this place. Mm. Um, Probably. You were doing sales at a radio place. And I remember you were kind of like trying to get out why this was difficult for you. And, and I, I, I don't know, to me, it was just like no big deal, mm-hmm. but, but enough of me. Like yeah. it, so they're asking also Mennonite, like think about oh. your, your life. And you know, b- before you guys get into maybe you can give us a little bit, I mean, we're from originally from Chicago area. We don't typically run into any Mennonites or, <laughs> you know, and I was thinking maybe you guys can differentiate between Mennonite and Amish because I think the two communities are very uh, misunderstood and, you know, yeah. misidentified. 
Yeah, yeah. Like, and and the, there's so much beauty in the Amish community, and there's so much beauty in the Mennonite community. Where they differ a little bit is the Amish really want to stay outside of um, of culture, like of, of American culture or whatever. They really want to have their own culture. Whereas, for the most part, Mennonites are more assimilated into regular culture. Um, where they sort of separate themselves is language they speak their own language they have an anabaptist sort of religion so very um very pacifist very um adult baptism things like that if you're familiar with christianity at all some mm-hmm. of that will make sense um and they will use modern conveniences where the Amish don't use modern conveniences, right? They, they drive horse and buggy and they don't use electricity, whereas Mennonites will do that. But the thing that is similar about them is the fact that Mennonites will see themselves as something separate. So yeah, you might be a Canadian, we're up in Canada, you might be a Canadian, but you're a Mennonite first, right? So you sort of see yourself as something outside of the rest of the world. Mennonites say you were set apart for a lack of a better way of saying it. That's sort of their comfortable languaging. Um, yeah, Menno Simons is, is the head of the Mennonite tradition. Some people say Mennonite's a faith. I don't hold Mennonite as a faith. It's just a it's just a tradition of people. But Menno Simons, like the Catholic Church, and you'll you understand this better. But I think Menno Simons broke off the Catholic long Church a long time ago. So that there was a split off, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's a very traditional. Very- and the clothing is is fairly similar, a little bit. Depends on depends on how Mennonite you are, for lack of a better way of saying it. Uh, my mom dresses in a bit of a more traditional Mennonite way. I have aunts and uncles that wear head coverings and dresses. Yeah, so they, they dress a little bit differently and, and don't use modern technology and really kind of submit themselves to a very literal reading of the Bible. Mm, okay, okay. And so your upbringing, you started to talk a little bit about originally coming from Mexico. Is that correct? Yeah. So my family is original. We're not Mexican. We're Mennonites, but we did live in Mexico or my family lived in Mexico. I'm actually the first Canadian born child in my family, um, but my family lived there. And so it's infused with a lot of Mexican culture, which I'm extremely grateful for. Um, but they grew up there in in poverty. So mm-hmm. my grandmother was lived in a small home with no running water, no electricity, no, you know, no outdoor plumbing or sorry, indoor plumbing. It goes easily outhouse dirt floor dirt floor um so that's that's sort of where we come from um and so really very earthy kind of people but like so beautiful because there's such a focus on in my family anyway on the things that matter Mm -hmm. so my family has always been very in tune with death in tune with the realities of life Mm -hmm. in tune with you know how much Mm -hmm. privilege we actually have if we look at how we live now fighting for the underdog Mm -hmm. the widow the orphan that's that's kind of the idea like and so that's to make your point taking the bible very literally like fighting for you know standing beside those that are suffering you know so i don't know if you've ever heard the you know hutterites hutterites are are well known for just their 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 care and these people of course live together like in a communal place which we don't we all have our own 
Well, when I say we, I don't know if we're part of for Mennonite. I don't think I really am. My my parents said you're you're born into the Mennonite tradition, and then you are that. And I'm like, well, we don't act like Mennonites. I'm not quite sure what that means. So anyway, but you know what's fascinating about your parents? I'm just thinking this through. Um, there was a mass immigration that actually happened. Mennonites um, originated from, um, so they they kind of traveled around Europe. You know, they went through Germany and then Russia, and I guess it was Prussia, different things. And then they picked up these small little dialects. And so Mennonites do have kind of their own language, which is falling apart. It's a little German. My parents, I can still speak it. My parents taught us that. Um, so it's kind of like a little, uh, you know, like Yiddish, you know, it's a bit, you know, it's a little different. Um, but what's interesting is the Mennonites move from place to place uh, because of uh, religious persecution. And they would move to countries where they're guaranteed their religious rights. Hmm. So when Canada said uh, back in the day that your children have to go to school, I don't know if your parents or their, your grandparents were ones that did it for this reason, but there's a mass immigration away from Canada. So the Mennonites came from Russia to Canada. Those people in Canada, they, they moved to Mexico or Bolivia or Paraguay where the governments didn't force you to put your kids through school. So there you go. You can see it's a little bit of like, no, faith comes first. Mm-hmm. And we're going to go where that where we have rights that way. Now, you guys got married in the church. Right. But you said that you guys are not practicing Mennonites currently. At, at what point did that shift and change for the two? of you? I think hmm. when we when I got pregnant with Rome, I remember thinking to myself, this is not a faith or a belief system that I can pass down to him. Mm. Right. Because it's very, it's very fire and brimstone kind of be good or else type mm-hmm. of teaching. Um, and I just went like, is this really where I want him to, to find his faith and find his foundation in life? And we just kind of went, no. And so we went through a journey where mm. we went into um we went from being very fundamentalist Christian into <laughs> the prosperity gospel, which is basically like the exact opposite. And for a while found a home there because we went, Oh, like super self-helpy. You could finally stand up and move your arms and dance. So you do what you want. And I'm like, wow, this is free for me, <laughs> you know, for a while. Yeah. yeah. And, and so that felt really good until we realized it was the same belief system. It was just wearing different clothing. Uh-huh. And then we went, Oh, okay. So we don't want to rearrange the furniture of our beliefs. We actually want to burn down the house. (laughs) We want to rebuild. And so we sort of, we sort of burnt down the house and went, you know, what's the most important thing. So for me personally, I won't speak for James, but for me personally, I'm still having this love affair with the teachings of Jesus. I still, you know, value so much of the things that he said, and I still live my life on that moral foundation, but I view them very very differently like most people when they hear my belief system they go oh that's not christian like that's not and to me i think it's a more accurate interpretation of what he was actually trying to say um but that's just my opinion and 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 whatever um and and so we're sort of raising our kids with a very open liberal mindset and i I don't know what you would say for yourself yeah when you see open liberal just teaching them how to think and not what to think. And sometimes, honestly, when our kids reveal what they think, I gasp because I always wanted that experience when I was a child to have the ability to share. But then when I hear what they say sometimes, like, and, and, you know, I kind of think to myself, oh, boy, did we screw up? Because they're thinking, 
But then I have to go back to them. No, no, we taught them how to, we taught them well, how to think our best we could. And they're just playing with it. They're trying on different things and it's a beautiful thing and they're making room. And so actually to the play of making room, you know, and you know, I'm, I'm with what you say, Meg. And, you know, I think I would consider myself a person of faith and I would still say I'm a Christian, but I'm now a religion less Christian. So the orthodoxy, so all of my work, I return choice to people passing on the baton and just saying, shut up, don't ask questions and just pass it on and do the same thing 15 generations down the line. I just can't do that. I just, you know, I can't be about that work. And so I, to me, the stories of Jesus, whether they're true, whether it happened or not, doesn't shake my faith at all. And this is why to me, the Bible is a whole bunch of stories where there's this force of love that wrapped itself around the human experience no matter what the human did. It's like Jesus said, you've heard it said, like, here's the law, don't do this, but I say unto you. So it's like this. My faith was once very shaky. You knocked at certain things. You questioned, well, I wonder if the Noah and the Ark really happened. And it'd be like, of course, your faith, you start questioning, is there a hole in this? I feel like I have an unshakable faith now. To me, I am more linked and have a deeper experience with Jesus than I ever have. But I make room for other people within, if they have different faiths, I make room for that. They, if they find their way to God or whatever they say, uh, all I happen to know is, to me, love is something that you do. You can talk about it, but like Sir Francis of Assisi said, if words are necessary, use them. Let yeah. my life be an example, right? There you go. You know, one of the most important things for couples is to have a common spirituality, not a common religions per se, but common spirituality. And it sounds very much like, your spiritual journey, the two of you, has kind of been side by side as you've been trying to kind of figure this out. Um, I, I was wondering what kind of feedback or pushback even did you get from the community that you grew up in? So it's interesting that you say that because I would say, having lived the experience, and I'm, I'm very curious about what you would say, um, when we first started to deconstruct our faith and our belief system, it was not necessarily on the same page right away. Right. And we get that question from people when, cause we're very into growth. We're, we're very, very passionate about growing and people will often ask us, but aren't you afraid you'll grow in different directions? Hmm. And when you grow in different directions, you won't be able to find your way back to each other. And so when we actually first started to um, really pull things apart, I was growing in a certain direction and you weren't quite there yet. And I remember one time. And well, I what was weird is I was playing with the concept of my brain because there's the construct stage in life and then deconstruct. It's what we do with all things in life. Like listeners think of this, you construct, then you deconstruct and then you reconstruct. You, this is what we do. It's just a cycle. You keep, but with my faith, like I had it so etched to me, it had to be a certain way. So I was playing with things, but I didn't want her to know what I was playing with. And I remember you were going to share a story. Yeah, no, I remember yeah. like sending him some podcasts about some different ways of thinking. He was like, I think you need to listen to a sermon. Like I'm, I'm a little I nervous actually, about where you're going. Here. I actually got kind of upset. I actually said to her one day, and this is very like untoward, not me because I do not like to oppress other people or like try to control their, their autonomy because that can't be done. But I remember coming down the stairs one day and said, you're not listening to those podcasts anymore. <laughs> like, I don't know what I was thinking, but Thankfully. I literally say, you're not listening to it anymore. And then she, anyway, so Thankfully we had a little I'm bit a of tension. Thankfully anyway, I'm a rebel, so I didn't listen. Blowing smoke screens <laughs> or blowing smoke things. Definitely you were. She's like, 
<laughs> yes, I am. <laughs> oh, you think you can stop me? <laughs> but we did. We did have a time mm-hmm, mm-hmm. where I went. I'm leaning towards a Christ consciousness, not so much a Jesus Christ. And he was like, "Oh, come back, come back. Where are you going?" <laughs> right. Well, I think for me, it ended up being, to be honest. Um, the question that I had and that I just came up with is how do we find need of God? My parents find need of God through, I think sometimes fear. They don't want to go to hell. So then we find need of God. I don't want to, so it's fear ourselves out of hell so we can go to heaven or whatever that is. I remember thinking, where am I going to need God all of a sudden? If I just like say, you know, these stories or different things. And then of course I was thinking like manhood and, you know, and I think society still has this, and this is not supposed to be sexist, but um, I really take responsibility for my family. I just do. We have two boys, whether two girls, two boys, doesn't matter. But I'm like, I wonder what this means for a boy. Like, I grew up with a faith tradition and I happen to, to be honest, there's some beautiful things. We have friends that weren't ever raised in a faith tradition, whatever that is, but they're never raised in any faith tradition. And, you know, sometimes I see them stumble through life and I'm thinking, why don't we stumble? Like, for example... When we got married, it was till death to us part. And that's how Mennonites do it. And we just, we make a commitment. Like when it gets rough, we don't get on the bus and take off. We don't, we, we don't do this. I mean, there, there is divorce, of course, but it, it's, it's one of these things where it's like shocking. You're divorcing. Like what happened? Like something horrible had to happen, right? Yeah. Yeah. So. Yeah. Um, yeah. That's such an interesting thing. I think where we always agreed, regardless of, where how different we were in the beginning is the fact that love was a main priority for both of us Mm -hmm. how do i love you how do i love you how do i be loving towards you and even though that was sometimes not the easiest and even though sometimes that maybe looked in a way like we didn't maybe understand even like i look i'm being loving by saying hey don't listen to this podcast anymore i know he wasn't trying to control me he was trying to love me he was trying to go like look are you becoming some west coast liberal crazy person like what's happening to you and he was trying to rein me back into a reality that he thought was more true um and so it was just realizing like okay this is coming from a loving place this is coming from a loving place that in the end that was the value i think that held us together when it felt like we don't know where we're standing we don't know what we're doing and i think that's actually been something when i look at our years together that's always been the value that we've come back to this idea that what is the most important thing love so what's the most loving thing this and even if the action that's correlated to that seems a little bit wonky or a little bit strange or or maybe is even painful in the moment the intention of love was always recognized and so because the intention of love was always recognized it felt like even through difficult times we were together um and 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 Mm -hmm. and a solid sort of Mm-hmm. base for us we were always sort of solid even though we might have been like going i have no idea what you're doing or well, thinking or you know and and the deep down i always trusted meg's intention i just learned from her she may be three years younger than me she may be like, like four ten and three quarter and i'm six feet i don't care who this mini person is but she's got some pretty keen awareness and so she there's there's several things in my life like i could i couldn't compute the way she put it together. So I, I knew we we're on a journey. You know, I think just to even fill fill in a little bit of what you were saying, 
talk to Ray here on family, extended family. So if you don't mind, I'll just kind of expand it. I'll go forward. Uh, what we ended up doing is we moved from this little community, Winkler, we moved to Winnipeg and that's, that's the capital city of Manitoba. And we did this about nine years ago. Harris has high functioning autism. We want to take him to a special school. We enrolled them in a school that we thought would be better for him. So we moved there. Our business was in Winkler. So I had to commute though. I found ways around that to some degree, but what was interesting is um, we found ourselves really as a family circling the wagons around each other. And so family, they were busy in the home farming community. They hardly ever came to visit. So we were just kind of there and developing our own style. And we did, and that's where we were in the praise and worship church. And it was kind of like, wow, amazing. And this love and goodness and God isn't just evil and not, not evil, but God isn't just about seeking punishment, uh, punishment, sorry, exactly. And, uh, but then, uh, six years ago, then we moved. So tying in, you're saying West Coast. So six years ago, currently we live in Vancouver on the West Coast. And again, our family doesn't travel that much. Um, and so I think we we kind of put ourselves into this um, safety place where we were able to deconstruct our faith. And I'll be honest, like when you say pushback, I would see text threads come through on family and the way that they talk about things. When I was in deconstruction, I could barely stand it like i would text them sometimes and i'd be like i didn't want to say you guys are crazy but i'm like i'm trying to like help them and take them where i thought they wanted to go mm-hmm. well no they don't want to do that because they have they, they find need of god in their own way so I, I got more upset and finally i had to like get off of some threads for a while you know it's just messy but i never really got angry with them um but now what's interesting is now we've kind of reconstructed which now we leave room for them and what they do is perfectly fine and that's how they choose to serve and choose to show up. And so it, got, it was rocky, but I think because we moved to new locations for us, I don't know what you think, yeah. but it helped us. And it helped me because, um, you know, being a dad and responsible for the kids and different things, I could relax. I could observe my children that back to your thing, the stance on love. I could observe our boys are loving, good, present people at the store, at uh, the school. They'll always say like, the boys are just so loving. I can hear this. So I'm not looking for validation. I could just see that. I think we're on the right track and grand grandpa keeps saying these things. And I don't think they, they really know how far we've deconstructed our faith, mm. but they're curious, I think. So I don't know if they'll ever ask. I'm okay with it. So. Okay. I think it's interesting, um, at least here in, in the United States, a lot of people have moved away from religions and the schools have really become this driving force. And, you know, in, in any type of, you know, religious type of environment, you're really asked by what you can give. And, and that's, I think, a really important thing for human beings. And, and the school systems here is about what can I get? Mm-hmm. And these, these younger generation are very... They're calling it the narcissistic era because it's all about the self. Even we take selfies and and it's interesting and they're not able to really pull off relationships at all. Mm -hmm. And you guys are talking about this. You know, we know that we're here to love each other and, and what can I give? And that is like one of the things that makes life uh, rewarding and satisfying and safe and good. And I think there's a lot of unfortunately lost yeah, I mean, yeah, I think you're, you're talking about this deconstruction of your faith, but then you also talk about the reconstruction of it. Mm-hmm. And I, I think that what we're seeing, this trend of the deconstruction happening, but there isn't any reconstruction. There isn't nothing. Right. Yeah. There isn't after, you know, putting it back together and like figuring out how you make sense of the world, how you connect with people and how we, you know, fit in in this universe. That's not happening. 
Yeah. Well, well you and- see this, yeah, you see this weird people going from construction to deconstruct, but instead of moving forward and reconstructing, making meaning, making it all belong, pinging back to construction and then back to deconstruct. And they're in this angry stance. And one mm-hmm. of the things that I love that you've taught me, man, you've done it so well, is you keep talking about emotions are like arrows. So Jesus was always pointing to something greater than him. He says, listen, I'm not the deal. I'm not the deal. And he's constantly, do- so Meg keeps saying, like, when you have an emotion, so if you're in deconstruction, and when I get the text thread from my parents and it makes me angry, you know, for example, and I'm an amateur in the Bible, but Bible says be angry and sin not. It's just like, let your anger point to proper action. Let it take you. And right next to anger, if it's proper action, will be sadness. And after sadness is love. Sorry, you were yeah. going to say I cut you off. No, it's okay. I think that's a good point. But but to your point about being a narcissistic sort of um, uh, culture that we're, we're diving into, I think that was one of the things that in our marriage we had to realize because being set up in a glorification of the nuclear family being set up in a, mm-hmm. so that was our, our immediate culture, but then being set up in the bigger culture, when you're watching the rom-coms, when you're watching failure to launch and all this stuff, and you're sort of saying, you know, your person will complete you, right? Mm-hmm. Ad nauseum, your person will, mm-hmm. will, will make you whole. <laughs> exactly. Yes. I think when we finally realized mm-hmm. our person is our teacher and our mirror, not, our validation and our completion that we went, oh, these things we think are problems are not problems. They're opportunities for growth, right? Because when even like if you look at the deconstructing of our faith, if we would have looked at that like, oh, shoot, we're having problems, right? That would have made it a much, much scarier situation. But if we look at it and go, okay, you're my teacher in this moment. I I disagree. I don't understand. I don't like what I'm seeing, but you're my teacher because you're something I want to reject. And I need to learn to accept the things I want to reject in order to grow spiritually, right? Or even a mirror. If you're mirroring me and I don't like it, it's really not about you. It's about me. And so going, oh, so if I'm, if I'm looking at you going, you're such a jerk. Hmm. Oh, that's my work. Not very seldom is it his work, right? Because my world is happening with inside of me. Yeah, the storm isn't out there. The storm is. Do you feel it? The storm is in here. I often talk to my clients about this. I ask, where's the storm? And they go, well, it's all this. (laughs) I say, well, have you observed some of these people don't look very unsettled? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Anyway. I I always say, what's the common denominator here? 100%. And so I feel sad for couples who are getting married or getting together right now or whatever, or, or even if they've been married for a long time, but that look at each other and go, you're the fault or you're the problem, or if only you would change. Now, in cases of abuse, you know, stuff like that, yes, 100% get yourself into a safe situation. You don't need to put up with abuse. But when it's that sort of irreconcilable differences, sometimes I think to myself, like maybe if you were to say, look, who knows if we're going to stick together, who knows this may or may not work, but right now you're my teacher. Right now you're representing something I want to reject and I need to open my heart to accepting it. Mm -hmm. And once I've accepted it and come to terms with it, then I can decide now, is this a long-term thing for me or not? Then I'm prepared to say, is this a relationship I want to be in? But if I'm still in rejection mode, I am not in the mental place to say, should I be in this relationship or not? My first. Yeah. And then they just recreate it. Exactly. Because you're going to take yourself into the next relationship. Yeah. Can you guys share your engagement story? Oh, oh I almost forgot. I, I, I don't know. know. Okay. You share it. I know. You share it. Yeah, it yeah. was so 
sweet. Um, So Mm -hmm. I was lucky enough to be one of those people that grew up in a very dysfunctional home. So I was taught very early on to cheer for the underdog and to see the suffering of the people who are hurting and who hurt others, because there was a lot of that going on in my family. There was lots of sort of tumultuous Mm conversations and experiences and and whatever um i didn't appreciate it at the time so i got out of my house as quickly as i could so i was 17 when i moved out of my house and um i needed three jobs in order to support myself and be able to afford an apartment and a car and all that kind of stuff so i was working three jobs and um and i had applied for a job that would give me the income so i could quit two of my jobs. So instead of balancing three jobs, I would only have to balance two jobs. And I got in the interview and I was so excited. And then they called me and said, I'm so sorry, you're not what we're looking for. And I was devastated. And James was like, well, let me take you out for dinner right. to make you feel better. And we it was, been, it was a snowstorm. It was a snowstorm. Manitoba, it storms minus 30, minus 40. It's, so that's below zero. So yeah. freezing zero, it's cold. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, and we had talked about marriage, but for about six months prior to this, anytime I talked about marriage, he would slough it off like, eh, eh, someday. And I was like, that's so weird that he doesn't want to talk about marriage anymore. Um, like getting kind of nervous here because I've invested now four years of my life in this guy. And if you're not planning on popping the question, like maybe it's time to move on. And, um, and so I was just kind of getting nervous about the fact that he didn't want to talk about it or would say, another couple of years and I was like oh are you serious I'm getting tired of working three jobs if nothing else I need a sugar daddy (laughs) and I'm totally kidding when I say that by the way when she bought her car when she moved out she asked me if she could borrow money I never said borrow I never said for the record I remember borrow I never said borrow I said do you have extra money I apparently gave her I apparently gave her four thousand dollars money and I realized I better get married to this woman because she never paid me back so the, the word was donate. It was yeah. <laughs> yeah, but you should have known that when I asked. I had a hard time t- keeping a job, my my lady. No, so I didn't have a lot of money. money. I was had, saving up listen, everything. He had way more ring. Than I did. <laughs> exactly. Well, that's true, but that's... no. In my family, if you gave someone something, you never expected it back. That was why you said yes to giving it to them. So when I said to him, "Hey, I need a car. You got any extra cash?" and he said, "Sure," I went, "Thanks." I didn't think he meant I was supposed to pay it back. <laughs> like that's ridiculous i'm not oh, gonna pay you back the money you gave me keep, keep with your story <laughs> anyway. i just wanted to like make make sure listeners hear this because i need i still need support on this <laughs> go fund me yeah i'm going <laughs> to face totally even just emotional support's all i need i'm totally fine <laughs> james is four thousand bucks back with interest after all these- <laughs> not only anyway. money i just need somebody to understand me <laughs> I just need to be heard okay, and validated. Um, okay, so anyway, so he said, I'm going to take you out for dinner. And he was going to take me to Winnipeg to a really beautiful, fancy restaurant. And it was snowing so bad he couldn't. So he had to do a like a quick pivot. And we had one nicer, and I use that term very loosely, nicer restaurant in our hometown. And so he got busy all afternoon. He he booked their, their sort of private room. He filled it with flowers. And so when I got off of work, he went, here, I'm going to make you feel better. We're going to go to this beautiful restaurant. And every time they brought out something for us to eat or drink, they always brought a rose. And so they'd bring me a rose. And and every time, you know, we get out our dirt or our whatever, um, yeah, entrees, next, yeah, et cetera, et cetera. Dish, yep. mm-hmm. And then I thought to myself, 
well, this feels a little special. Like this something feels a little mm, here. And I thought, no, because he's being such a jerk and not talking about marriage. This is nothing. He's literally just trying to make me feel better. And so I kept, was kind of battling with myself. And, um, and then when I, they brought out dessert and they brought me the last rose and on top of the rose was a beautiful ring. And I was like, and then he got up and moved to the other side of the table, got down on one knee, said a bunch of beautiful things. I don't think either one of us remember because we were (laughs) both bawling our eyes out. I'm like, phew, if I don't have to pay back that (laughs) $4,000. I'm like, what am I doing? I just bought a ring with this rock on it. I'm like further investing, which maybe this just explains why when we did our vows at our wedding, we actually bowled the whole way through it. I don't know. We're just like, I don't know why we're doing this. But when you and I get really like happy, we just cry off the time, often, yeah. often, right? Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, so and, and and then that was it. Six six months later, we were married. Just like that. And it was bizarre. We had our first baby five years later, and the Mennonites were like, like, what do you do in the wintertime? You get a cozy blanket and you cuddle up. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> you know? So they were like, hey, are, is there a problem? Like, you guys have marriage issues? Or is there like something going on with the, with the parts? And we're like, no, we're good. <laughs> was that planned? You guys waited? Yeah, yeah we waited. Okay. Yeah. I, I, my mom was a bit of a, a rough mom. She, she was, she was a unique, she had a unique parenting style, my mother. And so I always went, perhaps I'm not meant to be a mother because I'm not sure I know how to not to be that. Mm-hmm. Um, and then he went, we're getting old and I want kids. <laughs> and I went, cause we were so young and dumb, like, right. Like really, we really were looking back. And so he went, look, I'd want, I want kids. And I went, well, okay then. Right. Like that was about as much thought as I put into it. <laughs> and then when I got that pregnancy test back and they went, you're pregnant, I went, my whole life changed, like just in the blink of an eye, I went, I love this little thing inside of me more than anything else in the world. And I will die for it and kill for it simultaneously. And, and, and then after that motherhood just felt so natural to me, which was a really bizarre thing. Yeah. It's awesome how those, uh, that, that gut level intuition just really helps you through all that stuff. Yeah. Yeah. So this has been awesome, but I have one last question for you guys. What is it that your partner does that, you know, they love you. Mm. (laughs) what what do you do well that's an easy one for me i and i notice this on a daily basis Mm. and i notice this Mm. when he does big gestures um but everything i would actually say in everything he does this is his foundation but you will do anything to protect me Mm. You, 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 when you speak to me, you're always looking for how to open a road for me. So it's easier for me to go forward. If something is happening, you're always looking out for what's in my best interest or what will make me okay. If it's in big things, you think about all the hundreds of things that I would think about and you, you, you prepare for all of them. Like, so you are, and I'm going to use this word and it Mm -hmm. might be wrong, but you, I feel like are obsessed with protecting Mm -hmm. me. True. True. Yeah. And I, yeah. And when Protection he pre- as in like preparing things and making yeah. sure, yeah, you're okay. You're set up. Yeah. You're set up. Yeah. You can live your life. Well, and when I hear that, I, I, I think that's how you show me that you love me. That's how I know you love me. For me, it would be, uh, yes, it's, I've never been asked that question. It's a great question. 
it's a simple one, but it's, I love it. It makes you. He's uh, going, yeah. I don't know. No, they're so, they're so, no, no, thanks. <laughs> <laughs> I'm still fuming about that, that car. <laughs> okay. If I'm going, well, back. firstly, she can know her financials a little better. That would help. But that wasn't the question. Sorry. <laughs> that wasn't. <laughs> you know, that's still a problem. He'll go, oh, how much was that? I'm like, I haven't got a hot clue. Like, you make the money. That's <laughs> <laughs> so good. Anyway, no, it's just it's awesome. So, okay. Um, yeah, I would say um, this might sound terrible, uh, but. I just feel like you always have my back. Mm. I feel like you always have my back. Like, I don't, it doesn't matter if we're in the house with the boys or if we're going for a walk, uh, but it's it's like your presence is always kind of hovering, not in a controlling way, but in a very, um, I want the best for James. And if there's a reframe needed, um, then it, you know, it's almost like I get a text and it's like, how did this happen with the song that's in there? Or if we're with friends, um, it's like, you know, in a weird way, well, it's interesting. Like Jim Rowan always says self-protection is, medi- is mediocrity. So perhaps we need other people to protect us because, and you were saying protection. Mm-hmm. But I always feel like when I got you with me, there is, um, and I suffer from low self-esteem most of my life. But she's always there and she, she knows, she's been in me f- for a long time, 27 years. You know, and it's like... Um, and I don't lean on a construct. I don't lean on for her to do this, but I feel like she's always there mapping out. And it's almost like she can feel when I'm feeling threatened, when I don't need to feel threatened. And she'll look over at me and she looks at me before I even feel it is how I feel. So she gets it. And I look at her. It's, it's like, hmm, it's, it, 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 to me, she's just like an amazing safe place. She's, she's somebody that nurtures my life. She creates this beautiful, this environment, like it's just her flow and, and her chaos is just incredible. <laughs> like seriously, her chaos is just like, it's just amazing to observe her go about and flutter around with the boys. And, and so I'm, I know she loves me because hmm, she just dares to be herself. That's the answer. Mm. When I started dating her, I always wanted her to be her. And I said, someday I'll give you a safe place. Mm. You know, when I see her, she dares to be herself in a larger capacity, not just in our house, but with friends. It makes me so happy. I just wanted to, this, this little one, I just wanted her to fly out of the cage and be free. That is so beautiful, guys. Wow. (laughs) And for all of our listeners, if you want to listen more about Megan James, you can listen to the Art of Being Human podcast, right? And Weekly Wins and Losses with James Hepner. Mm-hmm. And in exactly, they can they can just type in weeklywinsandlosses.com. They'll come to my website, or you just type in James Hepner, double P.com, and you'll get to my, and yours is Meg Hepner. Same get, thing. Same thing. That's awesome. awesome. We'll have that in the show notes. Yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Guys, this has been a, a, a pleasure. Thank you so much for doing our podcast and, you. and sharing your story. Mm, thanks for giving us a space to share and for listening. I mean, we just think relationships really determine the quality of your life, right? How you do relationships and knowing that there's people like you out there doing the work of helping people get beautiful in their relationships and create these really loving environments to live in. I think that's such a beautiful thing. Mm -hmm. So we're super grateful for you guys and for what you do. 
Absolutely. Thank, thank you. you. I want to thank all of you for joining us today on Couple Synergy. Our passion is in helping couples and people have happy and healthy relationships. And this podcast gives us a fun way of bringing our knowledge and expertise to you, our listeners. You know, human beings have been sharing stories since the beginning of time to bond and heal and grow. We hope that by you guys sharing your story, it's enriched your lives and the lives of our listeners. For all of you listening, please let us know how you enjoyed the show. If you have any questions, comments, or topic suggestions, please email us at contact at couplesynergy.com. For more information about Couple Synergy and our programs such as Relationship 101, our home study course, the Couples Weekend Intensive, and our premier coaching program called Couple to Couple, look us up online at couplesynergy.com. And if you know someone who could benefit from this episode, please download it and share it. And thank you for listening. Until next time, synergize your life and synergize your love. You have been listening to Couple Synergy with Dr. Ray and Jean Ketkodian. Couple Synergy was recorded, edited, and produced by Dr. Ray and Jean Ketkodian. Voiceover and music entitled Breathe and Let Go was recorded and composed by Gina Gonzalez.